Well, it's been a very good start. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> well, oh, there we go. Hey, and thank you very much. And Nico, thanks for reading. Um, it, I'm, you know, I'm sure it wasn't obvious that I asked you to read five minutes before you went up there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's great to be able to come and, and speak. Um, and yeah, I'm moving to London next month. Um, I'm very excited about that. I'm sure my parents are very excited about getting me out of the house as well. Um, but today is a really exciting passage, uh, and it's a really exciting time of year. Uh, and we're going to be looking at Zechariah um, and what Nico just read. But I'd love to start off um, by asking you a question. And that is, have you ever been in a situation before where you can just sense that the inevitable is going to happen? You know, I'm talking about, about those situations where you can just predict the outcome of a situation before it even unfolds. To give you an example, um, the first example is trains. So I've had an absolute nightmare of trains, a bit like this guy is right now. Um, so every single day, when I've been going into London to go, to go and work, and I've been coming home, I've been absolutely sprinting for the train. I've been sprinting through the underground. My light blue shirt has turned into a, a dark blue shirt because of how much I'm sweating. And I get and I arrive to the train station, and I've either missed a train, or the train is delayed, or the train is too packed so I can't get on. But I just knew as I was running for the train, the inevitable was going to happen, is that I wasn't going to be able to get on it. Um, another example of the inevitable happening is one Nico will be happy with is Cristiano Ronaldo. When he plays for Manchester United, when he starts, it's inevitable. He's going to change the game. He's going to score a goal. You just know it's going to happen. And the final example, now this is, this is a little bit of a rogue one, but it's, can anyone guess, can anyone shout out what this, what's going on here? No? So this is laundry. This is basically, do you ever get this right, where you've got a huge pile of laundry that you need to transport to another room, and you kind of, you try and see it out, and you try and think, how, how am I going to do this? And you pick it up, and you try and move it, but inevitably, one sock drops, another sock drops, a pair of pants drops, and you, it turns into an absolute mess, but it is inevitable. I don't think anybody has ever successfully transported laundry through to another room. But that is kind of the theme for today, and that is the message that we can bring out of the passage today, is that God's plan is inevitable, and we're going to be seeing how our disbelief won't stop God's plan, and that's because of what Jesus came and did. Last week, as, as Nico mentioned earlier on, um, was all about the fact God's plan of salvation was promised and predicted way before Jesus arrived on earth, and here we find ourselves in Luke 1, and we see that God is putting his plan of salvation into action. Uh, and it's almost like the first domino being knocked over in the book of Luke through Zechariah. But before we, we dive in and unpack the passage, I'll just do a quick, quick overview of what's going on. So we've got a priest, Zechariah, and we've got his wife, Elizabeth, in this passage, both of whom were followers of God and righteous in the sight of God, but they weren't able to have kids. So one day while Zechariah was in the temple, the angel Gabriel came and told him that his prayers had been answered and that he was going to have a son called John. And this son would bring joy and would have a huge role in bringing people back to know the Lord. But Zechariah doubts and, and doesn't believe that what the angel says is going to happen. So he loses his speech and becomes mute. And then the angel Gabriel basically says, look, Zechariah, whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's possible or not, 
this is going to come true and this is what is going to happen. So, the direction of travel for today, the first point is God's plan is fixed and inevitable. The second is our disbelief won't stop it. And the third is that is because of what Jesus did. Okay, so my other question to you guys is, are you a plan A or a plan B kind of person? So a plan A is kind of super organized, knows exactly what they're doing and when they're doing it. Not Nico, basically. Um, a plan B is more, more laid back, you know, reactive and kind of takes life as it comes. Hands up if you think you're more of a plan A kind of person. Okay, a lot of organized people. And hands up for a plan B. Okay, okay, okay. It's a bit of a mix here. Well, I would definitely put myself along with Nico in the plan B category. Uh, and, you know, my uncle, my uncle Ralph often says, Lewis, you are, you know what, you're definitely a plan B kind of man. And at first, I used to take that as quite a big compliment. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good thing. But actually, to be a plan B man all the time, that means things go wrong a lot of the time in the first place. <laughs> but, you know, whilst I think it's maybe an impressive trait, it is definitely not a trait of the God that we see in these verses today. God is very much a God of plan A. He had one fixed plan of salvation that was inevitable. And that is the first point. God's plan is fixed and inevitable. Uh, how do we know this? Well, of course, verse 13, Gabriel tells Zechariah that uh, he will have a son called John. And the verses that follow unpack how John will be received and his role in bringing people back to the Lord. But verse 17 is the key verse here, because verse 17 is the fulfillment of a prophecy that was made a long time ago, and it outlines how fixed and in place God's plan is. Verse 17 says this, it says that John will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and their disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Now this is not the first time this phrase has been said. Roughly 400 years before this, in the context of talking about his future plan of salvation, God said in Malachi 4, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. So by God saying the same thing through the angel Gabriel here, he's basically saying this prophecy that I made is happening now. John is Elijah. He is about to go and make people ready and prepared for my arrival. So it was a huge moment in the lead up to Jesus' arrival and it shows that God's plan is fixed and inevitable. Uh, and the other way in which we see that God's plan is fixed and inevitable is just the fact that angel Gabriel is there talking to Zechariah. I mean, if we think about it, why does God send Gabriel when he does? Why does Gabriel need to be there telling Zechariah that he is gonna have a son? I mean, John is gonna be born anyway, right? So why does Gabriel need to be telling Zechariah this? Well, by God sending Zechariah, by God sending Gabriel beforehand to predict this pregnancy, he is demonstrating that he is unmistakably in charge here. We of course know that the angel Gabriel, what he says does come true, that John is born. So by God saying this beforehand, as opposed to saying it afterwards, he is proving that he is in control and that he is absolutely outworking his fixed and inevitable plan of salvation. Think of it this way. 
Um, you know, if, if I said to you a thunderstorm is going to happen, and then a few seconds later a thunderstorm did happen, you'd be like, wow. And it's a lot more impressive than a thunderstorm happening and then me saying, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> God wanted us to know that he is the one who initiated this divine chain of events. John the Baptist's birth was not, un- was not an unusual coincidence found and used by God. It was God's plan A. It was planned and ordained by his sovereign will. God's plan is fixed and inevitable. So that's the first thing to draw out of this passage. But another thing that, that I'd love to ask today um, is if you're a Christian and you're sat here, I wonder, do you ever sometimes struggle with, with disbelief? And I know that's quite a, quite a broad question, but, but are there ever times where where you struggle to, to trust in God's plan of salvation or, or things that you read about in the Bible? Are there ever those almost blip moments of doubt and unbelief? If you're not a Christian here today, you might be thinking, what? Surely not. Isn't that, isn't that the whole point of Christianity? You always have strong and rock-solid beliefs all the time. Surely once you put your faith in God, surely that's, you know, you're set in a lifetime of unwavering belief. But what we learn from Zechariah is that that isn't the case. In fact, if you speak to any Christian, I'm going to ask them if they've experienced doubt or unbelief at times, I'm sure that they would say yes. But the second point for today is that our disbelief will never stop God's plan. Because Zechariah did have a blip. He did have a moment where he struggled with disbelief in this passage. Of course, we know Zechariah and his wife, you know, they were righteous in the sight of the Lord. They observed all of the Lord's commands, we see in verse 6. And although though he wasn't without sin, it was clear that he was a faithful uh, in worshipping God and keeping his commandments. But he did have that moment of disbelief, because after the angel of the Lord appeared before Zechariah's very eyes and outlined his plan for Zechariah's son John, Zechariah doubts God in verse 18. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. It's not the best thing to say about your wife. (laughs) But he's basically saying, how can I be sure? How is this possible? Surely not. In this moment, Zechariah struggles to believe God's plan. It seems too impossible to be true. You know, this man who has put his faith in God, who lives a righteous life alongside his wife, in that moment, he struggles to trust in God and, his, and in his plan. And I wonder if you, ever feel, if you ever feel the same. You know, the idea of God's plan of salvation being, being hard to believe or, or trusting him with your eternal future. Maybe that sometimes does feel a little bit crazy or a little bit insane. I know... Um, I can definitely relate to this at times. I mean, for me, I've, I've, so I've started a new job in London, um, and, and I, sometimes, you know, you get put on the spot. I remember um, just this last week, I, so there's two offices, or two floors in my office, and I was, I was upstairs, and I needed to run downstairs and basically grab something um, from my bag. It was like a um, sort of a thing to help a projector. And I ran downstairs, um, and I basically couldn't find the thing I was looking for in my bag anywhere. So I was kind of rummaging through my bag and probably drawing quite a lot of attention to myself because all my team was sat at the the desk. Um, But I ended up getting my bag uh, to try and find it and emptying the contents of it on the table. And my Bible fell out and, like, plonked and flipped over right next to my boss. And my boss just 
picked it up and just opened it and went, ah, Leviticus. And I was like, that's probably not a great place to start. <laughs> but um, although they didn't say anything immediately, I did get questions later on. You know, people said, my colleagues, they were like, you know, the Bible, that stuff, do you, do you really believe it? Is that, is that really real to you? And in those moments, I, you know, I do wonder, I'm like, oh, do you know what is it? I do have those, those moments of doubt, and maybe you can relate, but as Christians, this can happen, and it does happen. Moments and periods of unbelief is something that is very real in the life of a Christian, and that was very real in the life of Zechariah. But our moments and these moments of doubt will never stop God's plan, because even though Zechariah said, how can this happen? How can I have a son? We know what well, we see, Gabriel said in verse 19, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this is good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. In other words, Zechariah, he's saying, Zechariah, whether you believe me or not, whether you think it's possible or not, this is going to happen. And of course, we know that John the Baptist is born, and that started off a chain of events that led to Jesus's arrival on earth. This belief will never stop God's plan. I mean, look at Peter, you know, who, who was the same. I mean, he didn't believe that Jesus needed to or that he would die on the cross, but God took himself to the cross to save Peter and to save us anyway. Nothing is going to stop God from fulfilling his plan of salvation. God's plan is fixed and inevitable, and our disbelief won't stop it. But, but why is this? And how do we know that it won't stop? Well, it's because of what Jesus did, point three. Um, and these verses, they point exactly to what Jesus did. In fact, they explain John's crucial role in preparing people for what Jesus came to do. Um, I went to a concert uh, a few weeks ago uh, to watch a band called Tidelines. Has anybody, has anybody heard Tidelines? Oh, we have got a couple of people. Nice. Okay, cool. In the morning service, uh, nobody heard of Tidelines. Um, but, um, so they had this kind of warm-up act before Tidelines. Um, and me and my friends went and we thought, oh, you know, we'll just see, see what it's like. Basically, it was this extreme heavy metal. Uh, and it was, honestly, I wish I'd bought earplugs. Like, it was, it was bad. I mean, I'm not sure if you like heavy metal, but, but um, it, it wasn't the best warm-up act. And, and you know what? Sometimes warm-up acts are enjoyable, sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're not. But their purpose is to prepare everyone to build excitement ahead of the main event, to point to the main act. And in a lot of ways, this is John's role. I don't mean that in an undermining way, but, but his purpose was to prepare everyone for the arrival of Jesus, to spread the message and build anticipation ahead of his entrance. And we see that in verses 14 to 17. You know, first of all, we see how John would be received with joy and delight, verse 14, and that he would be seen as great in the sight of the Lord and filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 15. And then we see how he would bring many of the people back to the Lord, their God, verse 16, and that he would make ready a people prepared for the Lord, verse 17. John's role was to spread the news that Jesus was coming and to get people ready 
for his arrival. And the thing is, is that John's arrival is good news. Him coming is going to bring joy and going to bring delight. But John is significant because he comes before and he points to Jesus. So if John, who is the messenger, if that is this good and amazing news, imagine what the main event is going to be like. Imagine what Jesus is coming to do. So what was the main event? What was John preparing God's people for? What did Jesus do? Well, earlier on we said, God's plan is fixed and inevitable. Our disbelief won't stop it. And number three, it is because of what Jesus did. And what Jesus did is he fulfilled God's plan of salvation. He was God's plan A, God's ultimate rescue mission to save me and to save you. He came and he lived a sinless and perfect life on earth. And then he was hung up and crucified because he wanted to take the punishment of our sin on himself. And he did it because he loves us. So he could repair our relationship with him that we broke. This was God's fixed and inevitable plan. This is it. It's fixed. It's sealed. Jesus fulfilled God's plan and nothing was going to stop it. Not us, not Zechariah saying, how is this possible? Not Peter saying, surely not, Lord. God's plan to save us was fixed and inevitable. Moments of our disbelief can't stop it. And that is because of what Jesus did. Um, but yeah, um, despite the fact our belief and trust wavers, what he did is, is so concrete, so faithful, so sacrificial, that our future is secure in him. So what do we do with this? How, how, do, we, how do we respond to this message? You might be sang, sat there thinking, all right, okay, so disbelief is, is all right every now and then. You, know, you might be thinking, it's all right to stop believing in God's plan every now and then because it's, it's done, it's finished. But, but that's not the message of today, and, and that's not the message from the passage. Disbelief is sin, and, and it can have consequences, as we saw with Peter being humiliated, and we saw with, with Zechariah, who became mute. But every Christian will experience these lapses of unbelief, and none of us can trust God's per- promises perfectly from day to day. But it's how we deal with these moments of unbelief that's really important. So how, so how do we deal with it? Well, if you read on in this text, you'll see how Zechariah deals with his unbelief. Because Zechariah obediently goes on to name his son John. Even though he was mute and he couldn't speak, he wrote down, his name is John, on a plaque. And after that, verse 64 says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And then he went on to praise him more. So the lesson for us here is that we shouldn't fall into despair when we experience unbelief. Instead, we can repent, accept God's forgiveness in Christ, and go on praising the Lord, and even more so because of the mercy that he shows us in our sin. Praise God that he still came to save us in our unbelief, that that doesn't cast us away but holds us closely. Take huge encouragement by the fact that that our struggle with unbelief didn't stop him from doing absolutely everything he could to bring us into a relationship with him. But we can learn from Zechariah's unbelief. We learn how we can come back to God, repent, and praise him for who he is and the joy that he brings. Speaking of joy, um, earlier on, I know that I mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo probably for the 300th time in these sermons, um, and that is 
and that how it was inevitable that Cristiano Ronaldo scores every, every time he plays for Manchester United. And that, that is why he brings joy on a Saturday. And even when I doubt him, he will inevitably score goals. But actually, is that true? As we saw from today, sometimes Ronaldo has a bad game. Sometimes Ronaldo doesn't score any goals. And you know what? When his fans have those moments where they doubt him and they don't believe him, that does affect him. That does damage his confidence, but not the God that we serve. Because God fulfilled his plan of salvation through Jesus, and he did this despite our disbelief and despite our doubt. I don't know when, when you might have struggled to trust in God's plan of salvation or, or when, when this has happened or, or what that might look like for you. But, but look at the God that we serve here. Thousands of years ago, he fixed in place a plan to bring you back to him. He did this even though there are times where he knew you would struggle to believe it. And he accomplished his plan by sacrificing himself in your place. This is what to come back to you every day. This is the God that we can know and put our trust in. And I've just got three really quick ways in which we can do that. As we approach this really exciting time of Christmas, how can we respond? How can we know this God that we see in these verses more? The first is read about him. I've put uh, Luke 6 uh, to 24 here. So there are 24 chapters in the book of Luke. I know it's, what, the 5th of December, so we're a bit late. But something that was really great that I did a couple of years ago was I read a chapter a day of Luke. And that meant that on Christmas Day... Um, I'd read the gospel, and that might be something, I know we're a bit behind, so you might have a bit of catch-up reading to do, but reading the Bible is really how we know God, it's how we can grow our faith and our trust in him, um, so read about him. The second is trust him with the smaller things. Um, you know, if, if we're trusting him with our eternal salvation, and we're trusting him with our lives, trust him with, with, with work, trust him with those relationships you've got with friends, trust him with things that are happening over Christmas, with finances, and see, um, see how that relationship grows. And finally, share him. Nika mentioned a few things um, at the start of the service, but we've got loads of carol services coming up, loads of great things. And we think about how we serve a God, and we're in a relationship with a God who's done all of this to bring this amazing news to us, to do all of this for us. Let's give other people the chance to hear about him too. Let's give other people the chance to hear about how he can change their lives over Christmas. Um, so yeah, those are kind of three things there. But just, but just to summarize um, a final time, God's plan of salvation is fixed and inevitable. So look forward to it. It's going to happen despite the times where we don't believe. So praise him and come back to him in those times. And it's going to happen because of what Jesus did. So get to know this amazing God that we can call Father even more.